Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM. We really appreciate it. Couldn't do all this work without you. And so today I'm re-airing a show I recorded a, a, a little while back with master musicians Julia Thornton and Don Kirkpatrick. And I met Julia and Don on a storytelling guest panel during the pandemic time. We were on a Zoom call and we hit it off. So afterwards, we agreed to reconnect, which we did, and I asked them if they would be interested in doing an interview, and they were certainly happy to do it. Like I said, they're master musicians, and they also have a website called Your Sacred Union, and it's all about relationships. So in this interview, Julia and Don talk with me about the way they met, the kind of relationship they have, how they manage it, how maybe you can manage yours as well. Plus, they talk about working as as musicians. They play with Rod Stewart, who tours the country all the time, so they're full-time musicians as well as full-time coaches around how one can nurture love. So we'll dive right into the conversation. I open by asking Don and Julia to reflect on their relationship and how they work with people. And Don begins the conversation, so take a listen. First of all, I want to say that it was interesting when the three of us got together, we were sort of shoved off into a waiting room, whatever that is on Zoom. Breakout instantly, room. Instantly, instantly I could feel we were hitting it off like a house on fire. And it was like, I could tell none of us wanted to get back into the other <laughs> thing we were doing. So I'm glad the relationship has continued. But how are we doing with relationships now through COVID? We travel for a living, so the fact that we got to be isolated and we went up to a ranch in the middle of nowhere. You know, we've been a couple since 2013, late 2013. We've practically been on the road solidly in all that time. We are a side man for a successful artist. Even time away from the road is generally spent in recovery. <laughs> the older you get, the harder it gets to just get home and reestablish. We both have been on the road for well over 30 plus 40 years for me and for Julia. It's been over. Been not not all with the same artist, but in the last, over the last 10 years, we've been with the same artist. In all that time, we were generally in relationships where we left the other person at home, which is generally the way it works for most people who travel with music. To be on the road and in a relationship was amazing, incredible, deeply challenging, and just catapulted our connection. I mean, there were moments where it was like almost make or break. We fell in love, and as soon as we started to work... Well, also, you should say the person we work for, we all mention is Rod Stewart. We're blessed to have worked with him for a long time. He absolutely loved that he had two people in his band who were in love. We're in love. He loves love. Yeah. You know, and so it was like spotlight time. He announced on stage when we, we were decided engaged. to get married that we'd gotten engaged in Vegas of all places. So it's it's been fun, but it re, you really felt like after a while, it felt like, okay, 
there's a sense of responsibility with this almost. And he's one of those people, like a lot of artists, he's very perceptive. He can read a room yeah. in like less than two seconds. Yeah. So we were very aware that on a show day when we were all, with everybody we work with, we just knew that it was a very transparent place that we, we needed to be on our game. If we were going through something, working through something as a couple, we didn't want that to bleed out into anybody else's field. There's no hiding anything on a traveling circus like we are. We're all crammed into, you know, 12 people on a bus at times and things like that. Well, actually, no. At one point, we were 13 people on a 16-berth European tour bus, a double-decker, and all the bunks are upstairs, you know, and then there's the galley and stuff and the, the lounge downstairs. And we would find that if we needed to reconnect or talk through something or process something, there was this area at the back of the top of the bus, which we called fondly the coffin, because it was literally behind two (laughs) partition doors. So if you're shouting at your partner, you can be heard right the way through the bunk area, but it's as private as it gets on a bus, really. So if something was going down between us, we we would huddle back into the coffin and we would just talk it through and work it out. And we'd really... Because of these parameters and this little pressure cooker we were in, we really learned to lower our voices, to be respectful, to not waste time just shouting at each other, but actually to to use some tools that we now actually recommend to other people who would just reach this kind of miscommunication blockade that they just can't get past. So how do we do that? How do we take the heat out of the situation? How do we learn to mindfully listen to each other without becoming super defensive? These are all challenges that every relationship goes through. And we're talking about, as you pointed out, a big circus, a big show, lots of things moving in these kinds of big stadium shows, including the two of you. And you've also said that you both have been in the music business all all your lives. So you've been at this for a long, long time. And you obviously have a deep sense of musicality, a deep sense of creativity individually. When you two got together and you were playing on the stage, how did your love affair inform the music? And is that what Mr. Stewart saw when he was showcasing you? What were the nuances like? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. It, it opens was, up so much. Yeah. And you, you go first. I I'll mean, we, we found that we both inhabited the same side of the stage for the first few years, which, I mean, literally Don stood in front of me. I was on a riser at the back with the drummer because I most of the time I'm playing percussion. And so it was lovely because Don would be able to just turn around and wink at me, smile at me, mouth something at me. And we had this this lovely, lovely physical connection on yeah Rob, Rob would be singing some guys I'll have all the luck, luck and I'd turn around at her and grin and wink or you know this is me you know that kind of just a goof on it all have fun but yeah we started to see the energy that we carried mm. not only could you feel it and and we were really into energy work separately before we ever met each other so when we came together it really fused into this thing so we I mean music <laughs> is is vibration which is everything in the cosmos, everything in the universe. So for us, naturally, we appreciated what the other had. When I showed up, Don had already been in the band like 12, 13 years, and I would watch him do a solo 
on the same song every night. I too had a solo. And coming from a classical discipline, soloing is utterly terrifying because you classical musicians are trained to read the notes and interpret other people's music. And being given like an eight bar solo can be very scary for a classically trained musician. So Don would be incredibly encouraging and he would give me amazing insight into how he would get into a space to deliver a solo. And the thing is, everything that we spoke about musically seemed to travel back to an original spiritual point of origin. One of the very first connections we actually had was we, we had a day drive from one city in mid England to Scotland. We were driving from Birmingham to Glasgow and we all were getting on the bus and finding our positions for the day. You know, everybody sort of establishes it. Some, some people go to the back lounge, some people making tea already. You know, some people sit up front where the driver is, some people, and we had this little booth, if you like, next to the, the galley kitchen. And Don was sitting down and this is before we were dating, very early on. I don't even know what possessed me. It was just divinely guided. I had this book in my hand that there was a big passion of mine at the time, which was all about presence and breath work and processing in a healthy way, looking at emotional processing as a very spiritual practice. And I just threw the book down on the table. I remember it was like, went, fuck, like <laughs> right there in front of me, like a wake up call. And I sat down next to him and I said, I wanted to talk to you about this book. The thing was, I had been on a spiritual journey before that. I'd had stage four plus throat cancer and been lucky enough to survive it. It really changed my life. And so I was on a spiritual journey. A lot of times those kind of experiences do that for people. And I was one of them. My marriage fell apart. And I just remember thinking, I really want to just stay on a spiritual journey. And if I'm lucky someday, I'll meet somebody who is also. Then bang, that book landed there and it was the presence process. And I thought, oh my God, this is interesting. She's into this stuff. And nobody else in the band was. So many people aren't. And then all of a sudden the book lands there. And I, I just was in shock. You know, I thought this could be very interesting. Days off, we would go out. And I remember one day we were- well, we, First of all, days off, we'd go out separately. It was really, yeah, really true. a long, long time before we got together. You know, it was a long courtship, which was a whole other story. It was so beautiful. Mm. Best way to do it ever. Highly recommend it. But we <laughs> go out. Very old fashioned. <laughs> Very old fashioned. We go out like being Belfast. And I, I was really into getting out in the nature. So I'd go to the park in Belfast. I'd see her walking down a path. What are you doing here? And I'd go to another park in another city. There she'd be there. So we finally go. We're not going to Paris. Let's go to this one. Yeah, we, we always search out botanical so. gardens. Every major city in Europe has one and in the US. So those were places of solace for us on the road because, you know, if you're not careful, you just spend your time in the city center and in the hotel yeah. room and, and in, a, in and out of a venue. And it, there's no nature. It really provides solace and balm. That sensitive, creative type that yeah. we are. So everything we did, even musically on stage, can just hear when a musician is playing from their heart space, is playing from a place of, I want to share this with you guys. I have something to share. And then there are musicians that we all know who very much play from a head-based technical aspect. And it's about impressing, or it's about more about that's where the ego is. And I just instinctively watching Don could feel 
the energy of his expression. He recognized the same in me. So we were like these kindred spirits. Well, actually, you came to me and you asked me, you, you asked me, how are you doing that? What does he do when you do a solo? Do you remember that? I do. You kind of were wanting to get to the bottom of it. And- it the thing for me was getting past the fear of being plunged into an, an empty space. Because there's a moment in the show where I do a solo on um, the first cut is the deepest. And to me, in my ears, which I have, you know, my monitors, it feels like a gaping hole because the band all pull out. There's no accompaniment. There's nothing. It's just a few pizzicato strings. I just go up into my head and I don't interfere. But the interesting thing was in that space of not knowing, I would create something that was actually pretty cool. And I'd come off stage not knowing what the hell I'd played. And particularly Don and the sax player, who also comes from the same place kind of musically, would both say, great solo tonight. And I'd be like, I have no no idea idea what what I just played. And that was the magic of it. And then I realized when I planned something out and when I started to think about it, I would deliver a thinking thought process solo and it didn't have the energy of divine inspiration didn't have that juice to it but this is what we had the conversation about because when she asked me what i was doing i said what i play on is very naked it's very short it's very 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 simple and i realized really quickly because i played so many years i thought this is nothing i went wait a minute this is a huge opportunity You've got to make an impact in a short amount of time. It's got a, it's the opportunity to create music over top of music in a way that's so totally free. When I saw that, it opened it up for me. And then I realized if I get out of my own way, which, you know, a lot of guitar players don't, <laughs> you can hear the thinking. But if I really work at getting out of my own way, it'll, it'll hopefully be very creative. And so I would meditate because there'd be a solo before me where I didn't play. I'd just sit there and drop my head and meditate right up to the first moment. I would play a note so that I was in a space of no thought. When I started doing that, the the first couple nights I did that, I had no idea what I played. I remember afterwards, at the end of the show, Rod would come and go, that was amazing. What were you doing? And I thought, oh, this might be working. I'm on to something. Yeah, it might be working. And And it feels good too. It's like, I don't know if you ski, but I skied all my life and you jump off the edge of a hill not knowing what's down there, where there's moguls or anything, you just, you hit it with each turn. So it felt like that to me too. It was very, it was very comfortable. It kind of becomes a discipline too, because you do the same songs in, a, in generally in a set. So you repeat the process. So it's really easy to slip back into. Yeah. It's a moment of freedom. that you know work, the, the people pleasing, the audience pleasing moments in a solo. And you hear that happen. It becomes habit. So again, it comes back to almost like a spiritual practice. How do I take myself down, empty my head of any planning or thought and just dive into the deep and the unknown and create from that space? One last thing about all this too, it has to be mentioned. The best person at this whole process, the true master of this kind of stuff we're talking about is is the guy we work for. All the time he's doing stuff like that. It's so inspiring. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And this you is know. one of the things that we talk about when we're on the road is that the privilege of being able to discuss the subtlety and the energy of what this is and to be able to watch him do it too. Yeah. To just like the number of times he's sung these songs and yet he'll be doing Have I Told You Lately. Yeah. And 
towards the end, he'll he'll just throw a phrase away that you've never heard him do before. And he in eight le- years, for me, in eight, nine years, I've he, never heard him sing it that way. And all the years I worked with him too, he's constantly creating situations where we put you on edge. Because he knew if you were on that, kind of like that razor's edge thing, that's where the good stuff happens. We would rehearse stuff and he'd say, okay, stop now. And, you know, and it wouldn't be done. And he'd say, it's always good to have an element of, you know, surprise. Like surprise. And I see him do this on songs to this day, like Rather Go Blind. Puts himself right on the edge and brilliance just is there. Now, have you ever talked to him about how that evolved for him? Did he always know how to do that or did he discover it and then just fall into it and let himself be led? Never talked to him about it, but I guarantee you he was born with it. Yeah, I think it's instinctual. I don't think it's, it's conscious with him. I'm going to put it out there to the universe that one day I will talk to him about this because I would love to talk to him about this stuff. He comes from a generation where people did that too instinctively. That generation of musicians, all of them, the Stones, Ronnie Wood. Let's just try this. It was born out of that kind of thing. I mean, there's nothing he likes more than accidents, <laughs> mistakes. True. true. He, he, he finds it all so amusing. Which is wonderful. I mean, for me, coming from a, a discipline of like, everything has to be technically perfect. And if you make a mistake, it's the worst thing in the world. So to be on stage with somebody who just laughs in the face of, oops, somebody tripped or oops, somebody came many in the times, wrong key. Many times he'll, he'll say, I cocked that up and we'll start the song over. You know, this is like the part of what makes him such a great performer. Yeah, uh, he's so authentically who he is on and off stage. And that's another wonderful lesson to yeah. watch a man who is just himself wherever he goes. Because I've worked for artists who have a sort of persona on stage. And Rod, you know, will be three or four bars into the first verse. He'll muddle up the words and he'll just, he'll just go, oh, stop, 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 stop. Let's start again. And the amazing thing is you think some part of you, the fear you would go into about that if you did it in front of an audience is <gasps> everyone's going to realize that I made a mistake. But what actually happens is they love him even more because he is human and he is owning up to his vulnerability and they get off on that even more. But almost. think about what you just said too, because I know you're, Nava, you're fascinated. Like, how does, did we get into relationship thing? What she just said is what you do in a relationship. If you own up, like when I make a mistake or cock up something in our relationship, if I own up to it and show the vulnerability to her, I've went over her, i.e. the audience. You've cleared the space. You've created almost like a loving kindness space there. Which is the opposite of what most of us do. Like performers, (laughs) if we mess up, we get defensive and we try and hide it, you know, and in a relationship, same thing. Because I think the more we go into relationship and the more we're with someone, the deeper the risk, you know, the, the more we've invested, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's love. So there feels like if I really expose who I really am, this is the stakes are way, way higher. So to be defenseless, whether it's throwing your hands up or if your partner is screaming at you saying, what's going on? As opposed to screaming back, to recognize the vulnerability behind the defensive behavior. I and I'm thinking about these big shows that you do. And of course, I'm thinking also about how well schooled you are, how well you play, how professional you are. That's the foundation of making this music. 
the foundation of making the relationship with the audience, having the love affair with the air almost that we all are in. So when you go on the stage, the art emerges in the spiritual realms that swirl around in the arena. So it's a relationship. We're all having a relationship. Talk about polyamory, many loves. And I don't yeah. use that term lightly here, but it's a it's a multiple, multiple level love affair with everybody in the room as you make this this music. We lift up our voices to the to the world, all of us together. Absolutely. And we co-create with the audience, you know, like if the audience is in, in a great space. It's a tribal shamanistic experience. You know, great rock singers are all shaman. You know, you watch them throw energy. You watch Mick Jagger. I watch Rod do it all the time. Just throw energy throw an when, arm when out they, and... they move an arm or something. You can almost see it the way I look at the world. Now you can. And and you see the tribe react. And you can feel that energy from the tribe. We, we, we do a lot of energy work on stage prior to the curtain coming up. We were both taught by a healer who wor- had worked, worked on, on me boat. when I had cancer and became a, a, a close friend and still do a lot of stuff with him. And when I met Don yeah. and when I first joined the band, I was struggling with a health issue. Um, I had an autoimmune condition I'd had for almost a decade. So he told me about this friend of his and eventually I said, okay, I'll get him to work on me. I was healed and it was instant and it was astonishing and miraculous. And then he had taught Don a way of almost projecting love basically and neutralizing negativity through using your body as a sort of a vessel for energy, positive divine love and energy. And also sort of clear the space and then fill it with love. You and know, also do it on stage. A set of very simple prayers that we use. I know the word prayer is quite loaded for a lot of people, like the word God, but <clears throat> it's almost like just positive affirmation that you send out and you ask the divine to just use you as a channel to project that energy. And Don had been doing this on stage and around the band and around Rod for many years before I joined the band. And then one day we were in Vegas doing the residency. He said to me, let's just try it together. Let's just Let's just see. Yeah, she would see me standing there, and I'd kind of, be, I'd kind of be in this pose, and I think my lips were moving. She goes, "What are you doing when you're moving your lips?" You know, I think this might even been before we got together. You know, in Vegas, it's a great place to practice this because there's a curtain down, so the audience can come yeah, in and yeah. sit down in their seats in the Coliseum, and we can be on stage warming up, and nobody can see us. So Don would be standing there on stage, kind of holding his palms out. I knew by this point because when this healer had worked on me he had given me a set of these prayers and I did them for a while. And I was like, you know what, this isn't really working for me. And anyway, so I kind of dropped them, but then I was watching Don and I said, why don't I just come up and do these with you? Why don't I just try this? It was a Tuesday or Wednesday night, which are always like kind of the graveyard shift of, of the week. Yeah. On this night, it was particularly dead. And I remember even, even Rod, we were all kind of like, Oh God, I don't, this this it's is going to be a while. This is this is going to be a tough this night. Is be a tough room, one. tough room. Yeah, really and it brutal. wasn't full, you know. And normally the weeks are full of people who've come in for conferences, you know, and they're not fans. They've been gifted tickets, whatever. So I go up early and I stand next to Don, and we start just as the healer friend of ours, Howard says, blasting the room with love, blessing the audience, doing kind of forgiveness and peacemaking work as well. So it's about love, forgiveness, and peacemaking. We did this for about five minutes and then the show 
started and we start playing and the, the curtain goes up. Slowly comes up. And already it's like there's a crackle in the air and we're like, this is, this is, this is good. These people are up for this. And Rod walks out just before he starts to sing. And as he appeared on stage, the whole room got on its feet and everybody's arms were in the air and it was like they levitated. They roared. They, they, all of us, including Rod, I felt the energy so strong. I took a step all back. Just I saw of, Rod do it too. He just kind of went, whoa. We felt And turned it. around, looked at us and like, you know, wide-eyed like, you know. <laughs> And it, it was It was powerful. And, like, and we were like, okay, did we, did we, did we do that? Did God do that? Sure enough, not to take the credit because it's not really us. We're just a channel for energy, but we've had days where we just haven't done it. We have been too rushed and it's definitely different when we don't do it now because we've been doing it solidly now for, for years. And it's a privilege to be in a place to be able to do it this. Is. We've also used it around struggles with relationships within our organization. You know, there's people, you rub them up the wrong way or they rub you up the wrong way, colleagues, crew members, and a couple of them have been challenging. They bring up my stuff around acceptance and wanting to be liked. And, and I've used this work around these people practicing forgiveness and releasing and allowing and being in a loving space. And it is miraculous how it shifts the way people behave. And to the point where I had one guy who wouldn't give me the time of day. It got to the point where when I would walk into the venue, he would open his arms and hug me. It was just astonishing. What did you do to make that change happen? Hmm. Right, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a process. I would go through a series of almost like points, checkpoints, where I would take away with me the feeling I was left with when I was rejected. Whatever the rejection was, however they behaved, it was more about how it affected me and my feelings. Because we all know, and this is, again, we come back to relationships of any sort, when someone pisses us off or upsets us or is rude we all tend to just point the finger and say well this person did this and this person that's the reason whereas don and i really practice coming from a place of like we're a reflection of each other if there is something like an aggressor coming at me it's simply that person sending me a message the upset of that is actually almost like the universe setting me up to access the peace that's in me that I'm carrying. When you exchange these reflections of each other, do you notice the change immediately? How does it affect your insides? Right, right. It's got to the point where I've done it enough now that it's quite a quick process. But early on, especially when I joined the band and I was learning this, these skills. I was learning how we're all a reflection, we're all a mirror way of looking at the world was working. So to start with, I would struggle. Yeah, it was would, a longer process. Yes, and I would definitely, days. right off the bat, take it deeply personally, and I would want to just throw it back and project it back out. The person that I'm describing, the, the relationship, it often hinged on a, a sort of a pivotal moment, like this guy would just 
be rude and dismissive and ignore me almost while taking it personally. I was taking it personally. And then there was one day when I'd literally been praying. I'd been talking to God and I'd been saying, please help me understand what's going on. Please give me clarity of mind, clarity of heart, so that I can see this situation truthfully and clearly as it really is and not just coming from my wound that I personally feel whenever he rejects me. And then one day I came off stage and I had left my makeup bag in the quick change area and they take this stage down so fast that stuff can get lost. So this guy's outside my trailer dressing room and I said to him, I really need your help. I've left something on stage. Is it at all possible that you could maybe go and look for me? And I took away all my sort of preconceived assumptions about he's just going to reject me and he's going to be rude. And, and I came from, I would so appreciate you if you helped me. And I think that was the first little bit of alchemical gold. And he just said, I'll go and look. He didn't give me any love. He just said, I'll go and look. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I, I, I give it to God. He comes back 10 minutes later, knocks on the door and he's got my makeup bag. And I just said, you're amazing. Thank you so much for doing that for me. I really, really appreciate you. And I opened my arms and I hugged him and I could feel his energy. Like I could feel him almost hugging me back, but not quite knowing what to do. And in that moment, I had this amazing slice of perception that wasn't my own, which said, he feels just as rejected as I do. He's in a very vulnerable place. He doesn't feel needed or wanted here. Me saying you're amazing and thank you, I really appreciate you really helped me. He found hard to receive because he doesn't really feel wanted and appreciated and loved. So I just kept saying it. I said, you're amazing. Thank you. You're my hero. And this smile started to crack across his face. And he said, no, not really. I said, not really. And I said, yes, really. You really saved my bacon today. And from that point on, he started to keep softening and keep softening. And I just kept doing the forgiveness work and doing this nonverbal exchange of, because I could see what was really going on for the first time. I wasn't coming from my wound, which allowed me to see his wound. And when you realize that we all have that need to be accepted and we also have all had the experience of being rejected. Yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the music, part of the, the big show. Everybody accepts everybody. You're not rejecting, but you're inviting in because with acceptance comes invitation. With rejection comes shunning. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And this idea that we were both reflecting the same wound. He was rejecting me because he felt rejected. I was receiving rejection. We were just bouncing it back and forth until somebody broke the chain. And the thing about music, like you say, is it affects even the hardest heart is because it comes from this vibrational place. It, it literally makes our cells move. Well, the, the word we're leaving out here is very healing. And All, and we're, what we're talking about right now is healing. We're coming together, these sort of shattered souls, the rejection. And then to come together in your soundtrack at the end of that, you have healing, which is the grand finale. We used to travel with somebody who have difficult relationships with other guys on the crew. <laughs> and this was just fascinating because this helped me because I realized 
I'm co-creating these difficulties. If there's a difficulty, what's my part in creating resolution here? Which again, we're back to relationships, we're back to music in a way, because we all know when we hear dissonance and disharmony, we all know how that rubs on the ear and on the body. And one member of the band who came and went briefly, who was just such an odd little character. She was a phenomenal bluegrass banjo player and fiddler. And she was with us for about a year, but she just kind of just wasn't a good fit with the band. And so she moved on. Yeah, she was was very socially awkward, as only a really obsessed, nerdy bluegrass player can be. No offense, because she was Who could do the best drop-dead impersonation of crickets you'll ever hear in your life. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. She did some amazing animal impressions. I'm so interested in this because I work so much with people who are doing creative work and many of the people I work with are returning to it after a long time away from it. They've had a career or whatever, and they, they want to pick up their creative work and they spend a lot of time worrying in their heads about getting it right. And I'm so enjoying the, idea of the messiness of things that you both are talking about because in the mess is lies the the beauty lies in the mess i think and it's it's the creative work is how you wallow in the in the beautiful messiness as much as whether you play the right notes or hit the rights hit the right write the right lyrics or do everything exactly right it's so true i mean i i think if everything was as we think it should be, we wouldn't get half the stuff we're meant to get in this life. In that coagulation and that stew pot, we have to stew sometimes. We have to not know where we are in order to get which out of is, the way. Which takes it back to what we were doing like with those solos. I would get myself into a space where I didn't know where I was, even almost I could do it for a while well enough where I wasn't even where I was on stage. When you don't know where you are like that, then creativity just comes. It's just, it's a, it's a flow. It's a flow that you just live in. You know, it's a vibration. And it comes from, uh, over time you get to trust, like I've learned to trust this process of <clears throat> healing these aspects of myself and watching how it affects the relationship outside of me, as within, so without. And the more peace I can cultivate, just like the more sense of trust of going into a solo without knowing where it's going to go. It's in the gap. And like you say, almost the messiness that creation really becomes this wonderful divine aspect of all of us. And in that messiness, when we come out on stage or even when we're doing it privately, and we find that place, like you said, Don, that you're just there, you know, you've found this universal spot, the spiritual spot, if you will. That's the place to me of new birth. It's always young. That space never grows old because universality has no age frame around it. So when we find that spot, we have no idea how old we are. We don't remember if our bodies ache or if our bodies are supple and young and 21 and we can do a thousand push-ups. We're just in this eternal rebirth. It's like you say, it's timeless. It's a consciousness. It's a level of consciousness that we get into where there is no space, time, age, everything that we are earthbound with. And we transcend that. And it's about presence as opposed to past or future. If you're in the present moment. Yeah, the moment. 
there is no past, there is no future. It is a timeless space. And it's always been there and it always will be. And when we do art, we just hopefully find our way into it. Exactly. Occasionally, <laughs> not always. I mean, you know, yeah, you still yeah, have yeah. to you still have to I, chop the wood, you know. And absolutely sometimes it does feel like it it's been waiting for us. You know, I I, I write a lot. Sometimes something will appear, piece of music will appear, I'll hear something, I'll write it down. It's almost like I can feel like somebody was like, what took you so long? I've been waiting for you, you know, to, to come to this level to take me back into, you know, 3D. And the answer from the universal point of view is I, I, I've been here all along. Yes. All, yes. all I was doing was just waiting for you to look to your left or to your right or up or down. And I'm, I'm right here. It's not uh, a problem. Happy, yeah. to, happy to be here. This is why we love being creative. It's such a great journey and it's a puzzle at the same time. It's everything that our souls yearn for. And it's available to everybody. And it that's is. something that I continue to reinforce every time I have a great conversation like this. And I, I, I know people listen to this show and they wonder if they fit into this. And my response always is, how can you, how can you avoid being in it? Exactly. Absolutely. Because exactly. we're all the same anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. there, okay, there are different expressions. We're all different expressions, but we're different expressions of the same energy source. We really are. And that's such a, that's such a comfort for me when I think about that. And on that note, we're, we have a little bit of time left. I, I would like to ask both of you to tell us what what you're up to what's coming up for you in the future i know that you share a place in california it's a farm and you live back a ways and so you have the remote life as well as the big stage life in las vegas or wherever else you you land so where are you two headed in your next year or so many different directions all at the same time we will be on tour uh, throughout the us and later on in europe but we're also headed in many other directions beyond our touring life. Yeah. And one of which I'll let you take. One of which is that we offer sessions in which we help people who come to us with relationship issues and spiritual questions and to how to use these spiritual ideas in their relationship to enhance it, to create peace and love and to all that all that good stuff we actually work with people one-on-one -on -one, which is something we started doing on the road people just people we found that people are actually caring as as we sort of healed what was between going on us, us and going on for us and the relationship got stronger people started coming to us just like out of the blue yeah it was, it was really actually kind of strange it was like, it was like interesting people in venues strangers would go we, I see something in you guys. I need to talk to you. Yeah, we had we yeah. had several instances several. with people we didn't even know who weren't even traveling with us come up to us like local crew and say, and one guy just said, I see you too. I know. I know who you are. I know what you do. It's not about the music. And we had a conversation with him. It wasn't far off from the one we're having right now with you. You know, it's just, you know, it's that stuff you can feel it and but a lot of also people we traveled with would talk to us about relate their relationship something they were struggling with they would say how do you guys do it how you always seem to be so okay with each other every day you come in and you're all lovey-dovey what is with that <laughs> and we would talk to them none and, of the guys would say that to me <laughs> no maybe not the guys the guy who was struggling with going through a divorce and he was like well, i don't know how to navigate this and all kinds of things would yeah. come to us to the point where we just 
one day we're looking at each other and said, maybe we should do something with this. And then when COVID hit, we were like, right, on the road, let's do this. It felt like an extension of all we've been doing, just to be available to be of service to people. There's one big thing that came out of the COVID thing is going, wow, life is really about being of service and, to others. And yeah, what is our purpose from this point on? You know, we feel very much of service when we're on the stage with Rod. So it's like, how can we take this off stage as well? How can we be in service to others? So when somebody comes to you or a, a couple comes to your sessions, what are some of the themes they bring and how do you open it up for them to make them feel comfortable? It's definitely an art to creating a safe sort of container for people. One of the many things that happens is allowing people to just get stuff out. Sometimes people just need to sit and talk. To sort of create a safe container, so to speak. You know, whatever, you, you learn how to read people and, and just create that for them. And it's a bit, as you can. a bit like music. It's, it's energetic. It comes from mindfully being open to listening and being available energetically to hold space for somebody who's in pain. With each person, it's like interpreting a piece of music. It's just an instinctual thing. There are certain common things that people go through. I mean, after a while, you realize that we're all doing the same stuff in every relationship we have. <laughs> we just all wear different clothes. Yeah. You know? Well, that comes back to the theme of reflecting each other. Yes. Yes. And all usually carrying the same key components. Really, when it boils down to it, we all just want to be loved and accepted for who we really are. And when you... Accept people for who they really are. How long does it take them to start opening up in one of your sessions? It's pretty quick. It can be shockingly quick. So, sometimes you have to be very, very gentle and slow. But there are other times it feels not unlike when we met you in that breakout room. It's just, you know, you read the energy. You just know, oh, we can totally go there with this person. You know, it felt that way with you. And I think one of the other things that's good about us is because we do this as a team, we balance out that masculine feminine energy and the container because there's two sets of energy working together is is pretty powerful from the get-go and this is something that people have said to us you guys just made me feel very safe straight from the start and, and most people don't have that most people when they talk to someone really offload there's judgment there's well you shouldn't be doing it like that there's some form of fix it that comes in and says, no, 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 I, I don't do, I, you know, it's, it's just so many levels to the way we respond to our friends or our relatives that are struggling. So it's not unlike what you do, Nave. I mean, it's a lot of it's being a good listener. You know, you ask great questions because you're a great listener. And people do lead each other. When I've been talking with you in this time that's now coming close to its end, I've been curious like a almost like a little bit like a journalist my goodness really do you do that and then i will get <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. this visual especially of you being on stage playing in the big arena and then i had the uh, i had the visuals of the sort of the smoky room the lights and then i started to see these other dimensions that were going on with the relationship between you and the stadium and i could almost hear the undertones coming out in your story not the music 
it, yeah. the music is yeah. there, but the undertones that add to the music, this this drifting across the the room or the stadium or whatever the place is. So for me, I started to see this visual, of, wow. uh, and I started to see myself mm. on the stage, participating in this phenomenon <laughs> of of alchemy. Yeah. Yeah, it is alchemy. It really is. It is. It we're is. we're it all our own is. little ball of alchemy. Every experience we've ever had has been leading to this point, this point now, this present moment. Yeah. And we use everything that we've experienced when we work with people. Well, that's such a pleasure. And I think we're very close to the end. But before we go, if people wanted to reach out to you or get in touch with you and, and find out more about your work, how would they do that? Well, we have uh, right now we have a, a link which I'll send to you, Nave. So if people check in the info, that there'll be a place they can go to book a free call with us. So we can talk to them and see if we're a good fit for going forwards and doing some work together. That sounds good. We well, we have a YouTube channel too, um, where you can go and see us talk about if, all kinds of different. If things. they want to see. The music part, we have a YouTube channel for the band, The Painkillers. The Painkillers. Oh, that's a good that's one. That's the local so, home, you know, boys and girls night out band. So what is your YouTube channel for your, your therapy work or your, your relationship work? Uh, we are, you can find us at Your Sacred Union with Don and Julia. It's either Don and Julia or Julia and Don. That'll be Your Sacred right. Union with Don and Julia or Julia and Don. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is called the what was it again the the painkillers the painkillers <laughs> now there's many painkillers bands but I, i'm trying to think how to narrow it down to us but just look at the painkillers at the moose lodge or the painkillers at the trip you'll find uh, okay all right well thank you both for being on this show i really appreciate it and we'll check in again later sometime and do it again Absolutely. It's great to talk so to you, much Nave. Fun. You're, you're wonderful to, to speak with. Great questions. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you set a great space, too. Well, it's my pleasure. So there you go, my friends. A bit of a reflection on love and life and, and music with Julia Thornton and Don Kirkpatrick. So we have a little time before the top of the hour, so I would like to stay on the subject of love and offer you a love poem just to sorbet the room and then move on to a few other things before we close out. The poem is titled Recuerdo by Edna St. Vincent Millay. We were very tired. We were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. It was bare and bright and smelled like a stable. But we looked into the fire. We leaned across the table. We lay on a hilltop underneath the moon, and the whistles kept blowing, and the dawn came soon. We were very tired. We were very merry. We had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. And you ate an apple, and I ate a pear. And you ate an apple, and I ate a pear from a dozen of each we had bought somewhere, and the sky went wan, and the wind came cold, and the sun rose, dripping a bucket full of gold. We were very tired, we were very merry, we had gone back and forth all night on the ferry. We hailed, good morrow, mother, to a shawl-covered head, and bought a morning paper which neither of us read, and she wept, God bless you, for the apples and the pears. And we gave her all our money but our subway fares.
So that's a kind of love. Hopefully you maybe experienced something like that, staying up all night with somebody that you maybe have just met or you loved for a long time. You have all kinds of love, so here's a poem about another kind of love. It has a little bit of a love affair in it. It's more about a love for a game. It's called the Tulsa Pool Player. He played pool, that boy from Tulsa. His name was Jack, and he could scatter those pool balls like rainbows across a green sky. He was dusty, his hands were quick, and his deep eyes won hearts. Uh, never more than one light bulb above my table, Jack would say. I hate to squint while I win. Fifty dollars and enough stamina to play all night would get you into one of Jack's games. All the boys down at the pool hall smoked and leaned forward as they watched the balls orbit straight into the hungry corners. Jack's mouth was always open just a little bit, and when he laughed, you could hear the money rustling in his pockets. Even the rack boys stood still on the afternoon. Jack's cue ball nicked the yellow nine and spun the black eight into the corner. When the ball dropped and Jack lost, he stood quiet for a second, then shook his head and said, Beers are on me. The day after Jack left town, the boys started swearing their cue balls were running just a little bit straighter, and everybody's luck had improved. On Christmas Eve, word came back that a brown-haired West Texas girl from the Apache Mountains had spun past Jack on the break and left him a thousand dollars down by dawn. They said it didn't bother Jack one bit. He just leaned his cue stick against the counter, kicked his boots back, and bought her a cup of coffee. When this story ricocheted around town, all the boys down at the pool hall tipped their glasses back, laughed out loud, and left every cue stick in the house standing at attention. So there you go, my friends, Jack, the pool player. That's the kind of love. If you know anybody who loves to play pool, they really love it. They'll show up no matter what and take a game on. So Jack did that, and I guess he's still out there somewhere doing it. That point's been published in a few different journals, and I've always enjoyed it. I think it'd make a good country song. But for now, it's a poem, and I hope you enjoyed it. And we have time for one more little piece, and this one comes from my book, 100 Days, which was just released a couple of weeks ago. I have to say I'm really rather proud of it. If you'd like to see a copy of it, the website is 3 a Taos Press. Just Google three, the number three, A Taos Press, and you can go there and you'll see the book, 100 Days. This poem I wrote on day 23 out of the 100 Days. I read a few poems from this book already on the show. The 100 Days I wrote um, starting April 1st, 12 years ago, after prostate cancer. So this is a whole series of poems about healing, not really about cancer, even though we've all been touched by it, and you know that as well as I do. This is day 23. He perished in the undertow. It has taken me years to appreciate the nuances of being on the road. Once in Utah, I took a wrong turn and drove 150 miles north, thinking I was headed east to Carolina. After spending three months selling screen-printed t-shirts to West Coast hiking stores from L.A. to Seattle, it has taken me years to appreciate the nuances of being on the road. I've driven through Oklahoma storms full of lightning, thunder, and hail. One October evening, on the New Jersey Turnpike, 
All Things Considered reported that Gamble Rogers, folk singer and storyteller, had perished in Florida at Flagler Beach while attempting to rescue a man drowning in the undertow. Even now, I remember listening to Gamble Rogers on the McDib stage in Black Mountain, North Carolina, telling his stories about northern Florida characters like Sheriff Bubba, who was so mean his shadow would paralyze an armadillo, Gamble would say. As my healing continues, I'm taking easy drives, like the one I took this morning to the coffee shop, where I sat quietly thinking about what the air feels when the rain falls through it. And each of the poems has a question, and here's your question. Have you ever known a man so mean his shadow would paralyze an armadillo? A simple no will suffice, but if it's a yes, who was it? So you can answer that question by generating a little piece of writing if you want to. Before I close, I would like to just build slightly on the reference to McDibbs in Black Mountain, North Carolina. McDibbs was owned by David Peel. He opened it in the early 80s, and it was the first serious listening room in the Asheville area. I think David sold a beer, maybe Blue Ribbon, maybe Budweiser. The top shelf beer was a Heineken, sold some sodas, had a cooler, a cash register, and a bar, a stage, and about a hundred chairs in the room. And Gamble Rogers would show up and play often at McDibbs, and I would go every time Gamble was booked. And I could not get enough of Gamble Rogers. He was a terrific player and a singer, and he's on YouTube a little bit, but not all that much. So I just wanted to mention that. And McDibbs, if you live in Asheville and you meet somebody who's been around Asheville for a long time, ask them if they know about McDibbs. And if they do, they'll tell you some good stories. And if they don't, you can ask the next person until you find somebody who does have those memories. I was there. I have those memories. It was a remarkable place. Some people even called it their musical church. I maybe was in that group myself. McDibbs closed a long time ago, and we all went on our merry way. That said, if you go to Asheville today and you go to Grey Eagle, which is in Asheville, you might be able to find somebody there that can help you discover the story of how Grey Eagle and McDibbs have a connection. So once you start something, once you're the pioneer, Things do end up going in directions that you could never quite imagine. And we're all pioneers. Everything we do sets the stage for the next thing. So we have time for one more poem, and I will offer you one from my book, 100 Days. This is poem number 44, written on day 44. In Black Mountain, North Carolina, I wrote this poem, and it's titled, A Young Woman in a Blue Dress. The host of Seattle's Jazz 24 announced that Alligator's Boogie 2, which took me back to Friday nights on Biltmore Avenue in the late 60s at the Brown Derby when I danced to the tunes of Sam Cooke, The Platters, and James Brown. I never dreamt my smooth moves would fade, or the women and men at the bar would be grandmothers and grandfathers, or the bookies in the back would grow old in the county jail. There was nothing old about the young woman who walked into the coffee shop with her mother late yesterday afternoon, the dripolator in Black Mountain, North Carolina. When her mother recognized me, she said, This is my daughter Sandy. She's going to her junior-senior prom tonight. Sandy smiled when I asked, When will your dance be over? Midnight, she said. My dance will be over at midnight. 
Here's your question. When did you first realize your smooth moves might fade? I guess that question might have a specific answer or maybe something that you've realized over a period of time. One smooth move fades and another one emerges. Let's hope that is how the rhythm continues. And on that note, I would like to say thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. If you'd like to reach out to me, Nave at jamesnave.com. This show is sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Project. If you'd like to know more about how to make your writing better, imaginativestorm.com is a good place to look. So thank you ever so much for tuning in. Like I said, I really do appreciate it. And hey, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.